Welcome back to Beers and Careers, everybody. This is Mark Agustinelli, your host. And as always, Beers and Careers is brought to you by the Davis Companies. Davis is a premier staffing firm that's really focused in helping companies find their engineering, IT, and manufacturing talent. Um, from putting butts to seats to total talent management, Davis is a great place to start. Uh, check them out at www.daviscos.com. That's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com. Today's guest is uh, Stephen Feifke. Stephen uh, is an incredible, brilliant man, um, really introspective. He is a musician, composer, performer, educator, social media maven, um, the whole thing. Uh, we talked about how he took his journey. And we talked about his journey taking um, his passion for music and monetizing it and making it every part of everyday life and the parallels between um, that career with the corporate world. And I think if you're someone who's uh, thinking about making a move or you're interested in pursuing a, uh, a career in music, this would be an awesome podcast to listen to. And even if not, even if you just want to um, listen for the fun of it, Stephen had some great advice for life and um, the, the mindset in which he approaches um, his day to day. So hope you enjoy the podcast. Love to uh, love for your feedback. Thank you. Well, Stephen, thank you. Um, thanks so much for coming on Beers and Careers. So happy to have you. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me, Mark. Now, um, I love your background. Can you? I, most folks are listening via audio, but what are we looking at back there? Obviously a piano, but not your standard typical one. Yeah, so this is, I mean, it's an upright piano. It's a Steinway pre-1920s. It's over 100 years old. It was actually one of the first ever um, pianos delivered to the Eastman School of Music. And I one day, the piano tuner came over. I have a guy who's been tuning my pianos ever since I was a kid, or at that point, my parents' pianos. Um, and he came over, and he took off the, like, there's a casing that goes in front of this, you know, so that's like the music board, like the desk where you put music, write music, what's the, you know, whatever. And he took it off and it looked so cool that I just kept it off. Oh, that's so cool. It does. Yeah. It's it's uh, a good inspirational piece to be looking at almost. It's cool. Yeah, it definitely gives a lot of visual inspiration for sure. That's awesome. Well, Stephen, uh, Usually we start off with some rapid fire questions, but before we get into that, can you give the audience maybe a quick overview of um, of what you do day to day and, and maybe how you got there briefly? And we'll dive into it deeper as we go. Yeah, perfect. So my name is Stephen Feifke. I'm a pianist, composer, arranger, orchestrator and educator. In other words, that just falls under the umbrella of musician. I'm a musician living in New York City. Um, I've been living here for over 10 years. I moved here in 2009 to go to NYU. I got a major in jazz studies and a minor in economics. And then I took a couple of years off, a couple of gap years to kind of see what would happen with my music career. Um, you know, some combination of luck and preparation. I got to a pretty okay place. And so I decided to pursue my master's at Manhattan School of Music in jazz composition. And so now I, you know, I work from home a lot you know, even pre-COVID. Um, most of my work is in writing music for <clears throat> for large ensembles around the world, whether it's orchestras or big bands, or even some stuff for TV. You might have heard my stuff on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, um, Impractical Jokers, like, you know, runs the gambit of, of, of shows. And then, you know, like I work for some artists like Santino Fontana, who is the voice of Hans on Frozen, um, for example, and Veronica Swift, a, a jazz vocalist who's up and coming and... Um, so that's kind of what I did pre-COVID, and and now in COVID, and of course, like I, you know, I, I play piano as well. So I play with people like 
uh, Steve Tyrell, uh, who is the singer, uh, the musical director for um, Father of the Bride. Um, I, I don't know what his big claim to fame is, but he's done everything. He's like worked with Bert, Bert Bacharach and, you know, he's um, awesome. I just recently got signed to Yamaha. I'm a Yamaha pianist, performing right. artist. Um, and I have a new big band record on the way. And actually the first single is dropping tomorrow. So that's kind of in a nutshell, like a combination of what I do in terms of my freelance work and my not so freelance freelance yes. work. Yes. And you, and you have a, um, before we dive into it, you have a wonderful presence online, which is uh, stephenfeifke.com, correct? Yeah, exactly. stephenfeifke.com, stephenfeifkemusic.com, stephenfeifkebigband.com. It'll all take you to the same the same awesome. landing page. And Feifke is F-E-I-F-K-E for those listening. I awesome. Thought. Thanks for that. No, yeah, awesome. Dude, I thought um, checking your stuff out before uh, we did this, I was so impressed by the website design the social presence you've got. I mean, that's its own job within the job. So you're really killing it, brother. Thanks, man. Appreciate uh, it, Mark. Yeah, no no worries. So I, a couple of things before I get into it. I have so many questions for you because I think it's so cool to when people follow their passion and then figure out a way to monetize it in a way that, that uh, lets them lead their life. But um, do you have a favorite cocktail or drink since this is beers and careers? Oh my gosh. Well, I wish that I had it with me right now, but it's a little, it's still almost, it's almost time, but it's a little early. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Scotch guy. I love Scotch. I love bourbon. Um, yeah. depending on the, on the, on the kind, it's either going to be neat or on the rocks, depending. Okay. Well, um, so I'm simple, simple and direct. What's your yeah. favorite bourbon? Um, there's a really great one called Ocean, um, uh, Ocean 84. Okay. Um, and it's kind of like a local, local one. It's, it's very sweet. It's like got a nice, um, front end and yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I'll have to check it out. I'm a, I end up being a maker's Mark Blanton's guy. Nice. Is the bourbon I drink, but I'll check that out. Ocean's 84. I'll send you a link. Yeah, that'd be great. Do, do you have a favorite curse word? Do I have a favorite curse word? Um, <clears throat> I guess the F word probably yeah. is, you know. You can, yeah, I know you're an educator, but you are allowed to let fuck rip on the podcast. Oh uh, my goodness! Because well, because I'm in, I live in that world, and the F word, by the way, Stephen, is the perennial favorite. Okay, cool. It's the yeah. first one that came to mind. I don't know if it's the most frequently used, um, <laughs> or if I really use them ever like that often, but but it's the first one that came you're to my man. mind. You're a good <laughs> man. Uh, do you have a favorite quote by any chance? Are you into quotes? Um, I am into quotes. Um, I think I've had different favorite quotes at different times of my life. Um, one that somehow keeps coming back is that yesterday's history, tomorrow, a mystery and the present is a gift. Mm. And that just reminds me always to live in the moment and to enjoy the, the present. And, you know, that doesn't mean ignore the past or the future. It just means be informed by the past and prepare for the future. And that's right. my way of enjoying the present. Grounded. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's uh, very easy to live in like, the, I can't wait for this as opposed to the here and now. So <laughs> yeah. I love, no, I love that one. I love that one. Um, what was your first job? Um, I worked at American Eagle. Yeah. As like a, on the, on the floor. And I, I, I don't know, like, I don't know how good I was at that job, but I did it. <laughs> that was the first, that was your yeah. first paying job. I love it. I yep. love it. Um, did you, 
did you kind of always know you wanted to go down this track? Like, you start, I'm guessing you started music pretty early on. Yeah, I had a pretty musical upbringing. My mom was my first piano teacher. Um, yeah. She's very musical. My dad as well was in a wedding band. He played drums. My parents are South African. Um, so they always were really supportive of my musical journey, my interest. My, I don't think either of them or necessarily even I imagined that I would be a professional musician um, mm -hmm. today. But when I was younger, my fifth grade yearbook actually, it says like, what would you like to be, see what would you like to be in 10 years time? And I said, jazz pianist. Uh. So pretty cool. I do pretty think that it was always on my mind. And yeah. actually, come to think of it, maybe my first job ever, I think I played a bar mitzvah under my own name when I was like 15 years old, 14. There you, there you go. So you've been yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah. I had a band called the Musical Maccabees. I love it. I love it. So your parents, were they uh, born in South Africa and emigrated here? Yeah, exactly. They emigrated in 88. Um, and I was born in 91. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, has their um, influence, ha I mean, obviously your parents influenced you massively. <laughs> Notice the cultural influence influencing your music at all? Um, that's a really interesting question. Hugh Masekela is probably the most famous jazz musician to come out of South Africa. My grandmother, um, actually I'm named for her, uh, they're, they're, they're both past, but her husband, my grandfather, um, is named Sydney and I'm, I'm named for him. Ah. I, like my Hebrew name is, is his Hebrew name. And um, so, but she was really hip uh, and always into like music. She could check like all the classical stuff, but also she was showing me like Hugh Masekela stuff from the time that I was a kid. And actually I was just, uh, I mean, just before uh, November, oh my gosh, a year ago, I arranged an orchestrated music for a concert um, in New York City at Jazz Lincoln Center featuring my former alma mater, the, the uh, Manhattan School of Music Jazz Orchestra, which was conducted by John Faddis, um, playing the music of Hugh Masekela. So that was kind of like a, a cool full circle kind of thing. Uh, was Hugh Ma what I've heard Hugh Masekela, like how he didn't play with like Dave Matthews and stuff. There's a South African guy. Maybe he did actually. And Dave Matthews is South African yeah, as well. Yeah, Dave is South African as well, but I didn't know. God, man, I should have known that before I said just started spouting. No, no, it's all good. I don't know if they played together. I know that Yamazakela grew up in extreme hardship in South Africa in a township. Um, and I think he also, um, <clears throat> he, ex like, as a kid, he experienced, like, you know, it was apartheid South Africa was, you know, obviously. Yes. Like, you know, that that was the, the, the government system at the time. And I think that he, oh, I think he, he took on a, a pretty public and strong stance of um, on social justice, um, mm. and you know he, yeah. he did a lot for South Africa. I yeah I um I just had to do a quick Google search. I think they have played together. Awesome, yeah. Cool. I know, like I I was into Dave in college and after college. I remember listening to live albums, and I remember when you said his name, I was like, I swear to God, yeah, I've heard that before. So um no, that's that's really cool. That's really cool. So did you, so stop, you went, I, you followed your passion. You, you sounds like you, you minored in economics as like a backup plan at NYU, right? Or. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was a backup plan. I mean, I necessarily, I really yeah. liked economics. It took me a while to settle on something. You know, when I was applying to schools, my parents encouraged me to study something on top of music just mm -hmm. in case, like as a backup yeah. plan. Yeah. And, I, and they were like, well, you're going to NYU. It's one of the best universities in the world. Like you should 
take advantage of what they have to offer. Right. So I actually started off, I was studying pre-med. Um, okay. I just couldn't, I, I just, I, it just wasn't for me. So I switched to math. I loved math, but the, the, the studying was too much for me. Like I, I still wanted to, I was in New York City. I wanted to like hustle and get gigs and try and get my name out there as much as I possibly could. So studying for all those math exams and doing all of those problem sets, it just, again, I, you know, it wasn't for me. So economics, like I landed on economics because I'd already fil fulfilled a bunch of the prerequisites from studying math and from, you know, even yeah. like it, even the pre-med track that I was on, like there were some things that I could use credit wise. Anyway, so I landed on economics and the business track, like really helped me set my mind for being an entrepreneur, you know, and, yeah. and like my own entrepreneur, my own like CEO, whatever, S whatever, seriously. Yeah. Um, and so when I finished college, I actually did apply to several consulting firms and investment banking firms. And there was a couple that like panned out and I just, I was like, okay, well, now is the time to try music. If it's not going to work now, it's not going to work ever. Yes. And yeah. Wait, how did you, I think what's cool is you share, there's a lot of people that switch majors in college all the time. I think it mm -hmm. happens. But I think there's also a certain amount of people that don't because, um, because their parents don't want them to or what have you. Like mm -hmm. what, what was the, what was the moment for you when you pulled the shoot on pre-med or math? Like when were you like, this has got to stop? Was there like in the first class? semester? Okay, so you knew right away. Well, yeah, okay. yeah, and I think I knew right away that I always that I was just gonna do music so, long yeah. term. You just were following your gut. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. And did you? So you, you go to do the you apply for the consulting jobs. It sounds like some of them panned out. What like were you, so did you just say hey I'm gonna pass and I'm gonna I'm gonna give this thing a go? Like had you? gotten enough gigs on the during your college career where you knew there was going to be some level of a revenue stream or did, were you just going to hunker down like how how did the economics of your personal situation work out in those early years um it was pretty tough it was definitely a bit of a struggle i think i was literally making enough to pay my rent and get you know a cup you know get yes. food and a, like a subway pass um <laughs> but I, I hustled a bunch of teaching gigs right off the bat. And when I first graduated, I, I started doing uh, I, I used to teach at a, at a through a program called the Piano School of New York. OK, that was the first New York City, like formal teaching job. And basically like what they would have you do is they would have you go around like all over Manhattan and sometimes Brooklyn as well, if you wanted. And they would have you teach lessons to kids in their home. Mm -hmm. And their rate was forty dollars an hour. Um which sounds like a pretty decent rate, but you know, if you have like one half an hour lesson on the Upper West Side and then you have to go down to the East Village and you're teaching two half an hour lessons, you've got, that's two and a half hours gone for 40. So, so like, but, but I made it work and I, you know, and it was all like an effort of getting my name out there. And I always foresaw my career being more centered around writing, arranging and orchestrating and composing music. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was always my goal. And I was, the most important thing, I think, from being at NYU, like being at that that school for the jazz studies major, is that it really opened the door for a lot of networking connections. And while I was in college, I was a part of a competition called the Thelonious Monk International Jazz Piano Competition. And that opened a lot of doors for me combined with the doors that had already been opened by being at NYU, just by being in New York City, by being around all of these musicians, you know, it's not, it, it wasn't an insulated college environment where you're like, oh, you're in the best band. 
great, good for you. Like, it's like, okay, you're in the best band, maybe, you know, yeah. but also like now go get a gig at the Blue Note. Um, right. And that was kind of my approach. So I figured as long as I could make something work in New York City and and meet people who I wanted to play with, you know, this is also, as you said, my passion, um, you know, like meet people who have, who had been lifelong heroes, you know, of mine and just like hang around them and soak up everything that they had to say, like whether it was about writing music or whether it was about playing piano. That's more like what I wanted to do. And I, um, yeah. Did you find most of those people that you looked up to or that you were soaking it up from were open to helping you or was there, a, was there a guard? Like, are you a naturally outgoing person or was that hard, that, that networking part of the job? When I, I grew up in Lexington, Massachusetts, and when I was living there, I, I was definitely not as outgoing as I have become. I think that New York City, being in New York City really forced me to come out of my shell in a big way. Cool. Um, so I'm not naturally outgoing, but now it feels natural to be outgoing. <laughs> to almost ask for things. Say again? To almost like ask for things like uh, like help or, hey, can I pick your brain? Certainly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, a lot of what a lot of the times what people do in the jazz scene and the music scene, I think, in general, is that if you want to pick someone's brain, what you do is you ask them to take a lesson with them. And then like in that lesson, you know, you're going to bring your best stuff to show them. Um, and maybe that can lead to being an apprentice for them or like, you know, you ask them, so when's your next gig? You know, networking looks a whole lot different on the music scene or in any freelance scene for that ma matter, I'd yeah. imagine, um, than it does in like a traditional um, hierarchical. Uh, yeah, like corporate -y world. Corporate -y world. I but I but I've but I've never been in that world formally, so I I don't truly know. Um, I, um, that's just my impression. No, I think I think I think there's definitely nuances that are different, but what I love. Um, what I love about it is the like the there's a lot of themes that are the same. Like you're just at, you're asking for help, you're being humble, you're trying to bring things to the table, and you're not doing it saying, you know, hey Stephen, will you mentor me? It's like you're doing it in a way where there's like an organic building of the relationship. I think there's a lot of people out there. My, my current stance on this is everyone should have a mentor, but I think a lot of people go into it being like, who's my mentor going to be? When in reality. I think some of the best mentors you have, it's not a formal mentor-mentee relationship, but something that organically evolves over time, and you're just picking up the phone or you're bumping into people and be like, hey, how's it going? This is what I'm working on. What do you think of this? Or this is the new challenge I've been um, I've been confronted with. How would you handle it? Or I, like even for me growing up, I grew up in a sales pit from a career standpoint, and it was like, I don't know if they were technically mentors, but there were so many people that were doing things. And I'd be like, I would never do that. And it was like a way in which to learn, right? Like some people taught you almost what not to do. Um, so I think there's a ton of parallels, honestly. Uh, but, but obviously, you know, I'm not in, I wasn't going around being like, can I have a lesson? But I was asking for, you know, I think it's a, di it's a different um, medium to accomplish a similar goal, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like there are a lot of parallels, definitely. No, it's and it's pretty cool, and it sounds like you kind of uh, had to eat shit for a little while, like just following your passion. You're doing things; they're not high-paying jobs. Right? Yeah, you've got to pay your dues for sure. 
there's not like a big ROI. And how like over time, has it been difficult to steer yourself away from gigs, which I think would to me as a layperson be a little bit more obvious or how I'd approach going after a gig as opposed to like musical composition and writing seems to me like um, a pretty high barrier to entry to get into that world. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I think, I think that um, gigs are how you get exposure. And in a lot of cases, it's also how you get, you know, income. So yeah. like, you know, it's uh, like when I say gig, like I'm not necessarily referring to like a, you know, a, like a coffee shop or a restaurant, like uh, like gig for me is like, you know, I've got this gig right now. I'm I'm making music for a company called Splice Sounds. And, okay. you know, so so like and so I, so when I say gig, I guess I should be a little bit more specific. Yeah. But but it's, it's freelance work, but like freelance work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but as far as like any barriers to entry, I think that the probably the best um, possible reputation or, or way to build your 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 um, brand is always through word of mouth, mm. um, no matter what industry you're in. So I think like any barriers to entry is more just being able to get your name out there and the fact that you can do something and then getting from, OK, like people know that you can do something to say like, oh, I want this. I want Steven to write this music mm. for me. Right. Um, that's the barrier. I think not so you're much really though. building a personal brand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For sure. Yeah, that's that's insane. So can, can you help me as a person that like, you know, the I think the vast majority of the folks that we've had on the podcast work like a nine to five. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, or something, you know, like that to a degree. What's a typical day look like for you? Because you're balancing. I mean, to your point. Right. It's like educator, musician, composer. <laughs> like you got a lot of things going on. Like, right. How yeah. Are you, how are you juggling all that? Um, I don't know. I'm figuring it out every day. Um, okay. and I don't really, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really make like a specific day to day schedule. What I do is like, I have a month's worth of things that I want to get done for myself. And then I have a week's worth of things that like need to get done. And then I have a, then the day before I have a, I, have, I make a schedule for myself that says like, okay, in order to get this thing done by the end of the week, I need to do X, Y, Z. So okay. as far as like education, there's actually a couple of things that fall under that track. Um, I teach private lessons. I have a like a, an online Zoom studio mm -hmm. of people who come to me because they they know my brand. Uh, you know, it's, I'm not I don't think like it's possible to build. I don't know. Not it's not that it's not possible, but it's not what I want to do um, is like build a brand as like an a, a, just a piano teacher. Like if somebody's going to come study with me, like I, I want to be able to impart knowledge like that I in the bet you know the best way that I possibly can and then I also have been I create online ebooks like pdf downloads for people to work on certain skill sets you know I just released one actually two days ago called the ultimate guide to jazz piano voicings hmm. and I have another one that I released a couple weeks ago called um, 16 bebop etudes for jazz piano um, so this is all like a way, you know, you mentioned ROI, you mentioned, you know, um, monetizing a, a passion, a hobby. Like these are ways that I've been able to kind of connect with my social media following people who follow me for me, people who like see my brand, uh, reson that brand resonates with them and they want to learn more, hear more, whatever. 
So that's like under education. As far as a performer goes, you know, I have stuff that I do as a sideman. Like if somebody calls me to play on their project, whether it's on a CD or whether it's on a live performance, like a gig or a recording, um, that's one part. And then those gigs, those performances lead to other connections. I think that this industry is all about networking. So I'll meet the person who booked the gig. I'll meet the person who booked the band. I'll meet the presenter who's like introducing the band on stage. I'll like, I'll meet the lighting guy, the sound guy. I'll like make a point to, to really meet all these people and say like, like, you know, just come like just naturally. And I, I like to, you know, talk to people. Yeah. Um, especially the piano tuner. Um, yeah, right. you know, so, so like every, like the, there's like a whole network of people who like that, that, like the, that, that maybe I didn't even realize existed until I started doing this as a, as a career. And then that, those kinds of performances, like meeting those people, the presenters to the bookers, whatever leads to getting booked under your own name. Right. So that falls under pres like performer as well, as far as like arranger orchestrator, like if I'm playing with a singer as a sideman on a gig or, you know, Steve Tyrell or Veronica, for example, who I mentioned er earlier, like those are people who like I'll make sure like I, I give them like a CD or I give them a link and say like, hey, I released this music. Like, why don't you check this out? Like this is with Big Band. This is with strings. Like, hey, if you ever need something, you know, I'd love to write something for you. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll I'll hire somebody who I want to work with for my own project. And then, like they know my name, they know my work ethic, they know my music, they know my style, like, you know, and that that's kind of like there's a lot of, of give and take. Like, yeah, it sounds like it's a real karma. What goes around comes around situation. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a really good way of putting it, Mark. That's but I, that's um, it's funny because I probably, you know maybe know some of the least about like professional music like for me this is like i love learning from you because it's so different right like your world to me is so different but it's a different world time, there's crazy amount of parallels like between the what goes around comes around um i, I call it eating shit but just like doing stuff that you don't want to do in the beginning necessarily but it's great for your brand and great for what you do but then um but then the last, like the macro for me is like you've immersed yourself, like completely immersed yourself in the culture and the industry. And that way, by doing that, it's kind of that helps like what goes around comes around piece. Um, Definitely. Is there no, a time though when you hate? Oh, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. No, I was just, no, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. All I was going to say is I think that there's like a lot of camaraderie like around musicians because everybody's done that, um, as you call it, eat shit part yeah. of the process where like everybody's paying their dues and you know everybody knows what it's like to be on the bottom like everybody knows what it's like to like move to new york city or wherever nashville la wherever you're moving to and just like be thrown into the deep end and all of a sudden you go from being a big fish into a, in a small pond to being like the smallest fish in the biggest pond ever yeah, right. you know so like everybody knows what that's like and that really helps you know i i don't you, you asked this question earlier as well i don't think that there's any guards up you know at least amongst people that i respect and and look up to people have always been like really warm and welcoming so. I, that that has been my experience as well but i think when i until i experienced it firsthand i thought those people were more untouchable than they really are and then you got <laughs> to remind yourself they put their shoes on one at a time as well and um and they want to help people yeah know? exactly
it's it's just it's that kind of youthful ignorance i think well, at least for me it was youthful ignorance to think i don't know if he's going to want to talk to me or if she's going to want to talk to me. so has yeah. there has there been a time though when when you thought about mailing it in and quitting like definitely like, yeah 100 percent, definitely yeah um you know i i don't think that anybody's on a linear path you know everybody's on like some sort of um sine wave of success yes. um you know and i think that like you know those highs can feel really great and those lows can feel really really bad and sometimes in those lows in a freelance market you can feel that it, that you you can get uh you can get caught up in like a in a in an unhealthy cycle of being like nothing's ever gonna gonna, gonna work out so yeah. you know especially because i I do come from that economics background. Like at, at some points, I think that that was actually detrimental to my career because I did have something that I could fall back on. Um, mm. It's like uh plan B was almost bad. Yeah. For I your mean, it was never really plan B. It was all like, this was always plan A and, and plan B, yes. <laughs> but you know, but, like, there are, there are times where I've considered being like, okay, you know, I could do music on the side and do something else. And every time that thought would cross my mind, it would just like kick me in the butt to work a little harder and to make something else happen because it would make me realize how much I cherish being able to do this for work. You know, like I look around this room, I see like my writing desk, I see my keyboard over there, like my piano behind me. Um, you know, that it's a real blessing. And, and so I think had I ever gone in a different direction, I'm sure that I would have found my way back one way or the other. No, oh, that's pretty cool. So for you, to me, it sounds like it, mindset was one of the more important pieces of coming up in your business. Yeah, mindset for sure. Um, yeah, and it, you know, I think with any, mindset, yes. And sure, work, sure answer, yes. Yeah. But I think that with any business, you know, that you're starting, and it's funny because every musician in New York City is their own business. You know, you're so right. there's like, whatever a million and million businesses flying around like going up right you have to invest in a business for it to be successful so the hardest thing for me was figuring out how to invest in the business and then also like pay my rent and like you know that that's that was the hardest thing for me at the beginning was just yeah. figuring out like you know, you have to spend money to make money. Yeah, actually, make it work. I mean, can I, I can also imagine for the quality of the content you put out, just like, how was it to find a space in Manhattan that worked for you? Well, you make anything work, <laughs> okay. um, you know, uh, but I, I really love where where I live now. I live here with my fiance and um, we have a two bedroom apartment and we've you know, she's a saxophonist. So we've turned the second bedroom into a studio. It's got a beautiful window. We're lucky we have like private outdoor space as well. So we can there's a lot of uh, energy, like inspirational energy for us to access, as well as space for us to go and just chill out. Um, that's one thing that, you know, I think everybody has discovered through the pandemic and just from being quarantined in their own home is that like, if left to your own devices, you can just work forever, you know, yes. so, yes. you know, and that's good and bad. But I think that for 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 me, I, I've recognized that, like, I definitely need to the reason that I do the month long work process thing, as opposed to like a weekly, like regimented schedule or daily regimented schedule <clears throat> is that I 
need to be able to take breaks whenever I want, just like I need to be able to work whenever I want. You know, like you can't control when inspiration strikes. And that's a funny part of the business as well, is that like there you like there are some jobs where you do have to be musically, artistically inspired to do them. Just like there are some jobs where you have to be, you know, working on a deadline, like, you know, the, the company needs their music by X date. So you have to do, you know, X amount of work to make that happen. And so. Works both ways. How did you come up with the month-long planning system? Because I, I love it. I personally love it because it gives you flexibility and autonomy and freedom, all with not letting your work ethic wane. You know. Thanks. Um, I don't think I ever like formally came up with it. I just okay. think that it was something that I realized was happening. Um, basically, what I do is I have like a notepad on my. Um, you know, I have a Mac, so I, I have like my notepad thing and I have like a couple of notes. I have a brain dump note and then I have an actual productivity note. <laughs> um, you know, it's like there are some things that I do every day. Like, you know, I'm, I, I make a, a post on Instagram every day, like at least one post on Instagram every day. Yeah. Um, and like that's on the list every day. And then there's some things like, you know, if I'm if I have like. I can have anywhere from zero to 10 writing projects going on at any given time. So it's, it's like, and that's not including stuff that I want to do for my own, like my own artistry, my own, like my own personal expression, which also is part of my business, which is, you know, like it's, it's like, so, so I basically just started jotting all this stuff down into a note just to get it out of my head. Cause I would start forgetting it. I used to keep it in my head or I used to actually like hang posted notes all around the room. And just like yank one down when I when I completed the task. Um, but then I started I just put it all into this note and then I put the, the thing that needs to get done first at the top. Um, if there's things that I do do every single day, um, those don't go in the list because it's a part of my routine as a part of my habit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as a freelancer, you know, you as much as you're building vertically, like the Stephen Feifke brand is building vertically, I hope. And yeah. I hope that vertical is going up. So I think it's also about like building laterally. And right. I think that it's not so much about just focusing on one thing. Like the, the reason that I'm able to break up my career into talking about education, talking about performance, talking about writing, whatever, yada, 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 is that I'm building laterally. And even within all of those different sections, there's another section, there's a subsection. And like when you have that kind of approach, like all of these different verticals have different levels of success at any given moment in time. And organizing all of those thoughts and all of those processes can be overwhelming. So being able to visualize it and just see like what I need to do over the course of a month is something that really helps me not take for granted my, my time. It, it helps me not, uh, like for it, it, it helps, it reminds me to take free time and like relax. And then it also reminds me like, you know, the freelance philosophy, like it can be easy to have like that freelancer's philosophy of like no amount of work is too much work. Yeah. But eventually it does become too much yeah, work and you have to be sense. conscious of that. Cause it would lower the quality of your work cause you're just trying to bang it out. Mm-hmm, exactly. Did you, Social media is so such an important important um, part of your of your business, right? Because as you build a personal brand, it's it's good marketing. Do you like how was that journey for you? We, before we started the podcast, we were, we briefly mentioned the social dilemma to each other in a conversation. Like, 
Did you have to go out and learn social media from a technical standpoint, or was it just good enough to grow up? And I and I ask this from a place of personal curiosity because I want to do a better job uh, with this podcast of just like personally branding it and getting it out. And it's just like, man, I'm so good at creating habits and other aspects of my life, and I'm struggling in this one. So I'm just eager to hear like for you how that how that journey. You cranked out an ebook, right? You just released an ebook. I'm sure that wasn't on a whim. He <laughs> didn't just be like, let me do this today. So how's that? How was that social media marketing manager journey been for you, too? Because that's another title you have in your business. <laughs> right. Yeah. Formal title or not. Um, so, the yeah, the ebook, I don't I didn't. Yeah, that was a plan. You know, I yep. have like that's part of the monthly brain dump. Um, okay. um, and then, like, I have a notepad that I go into the specifics of what 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 that ebook is going to be about. Um, and like what chapters I'm going to have, because ultimately you're developing when you when you post on social media, I think you're developing connections with your followers. Um, right. And if you build a level of trust with your followers and then you have them pay for something that's not good, then right. you lose that trust. Right. Um, and not only that, but I have personal pride of like wanting to, you know, put out a good product, whatever yes. that product is, whether it's an ebook or whether it's an album, you know, whether it's that single that's dropping tomorrow or whether it's the jazz piano voicings thing. Makes sense. So Makes as far sense. as posting on social media or, you know, I, to be honest, I don't think I Facebook, I got Facebook when I was um, 15 or 16 years old. Okay. So I didn't like truly grow up with it as Gen Z did. Yes. Or is rather. Um, and Facebook was very young when I got it as well. Like it was not what it is now. Um, I think that a couple of people saw the potential in it, um, as a business marketing tool. I wish that I'd been one of those early people, but I was not. Um, I have, you know, a group of really, like I have a, I have a very small group of, of really close friends who I call, you know, and then I have like a large group of friends as well. But, you know, my really close friends who are musicians, we talk to one another. And I have one friend in particular who's always just had such a a, a knack for, you know, just business acumen in, yeah. in, in, the, in the online social media landscape that he um, is the one who, first of all, when I, in 2014, I released a, uh, big band video for the first time on YouTube. I've got the world on a string. Um, like the, like a new fresh take on the Frank Sinatra classic. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, and he's the one who encouraged me to do it because he had been putting videos of his band on YouTube and people had started to learn his name and follow him on his website and, and whatnot. And so I put together that video and that was the first thing that people saw of me. And mm. I, started doing Facebook ads. I had an Instagram handle as well, but I was at that point just posting pictures of food and whatever nature walk I'd been on. Yeah, right. Um, the rest of us. And meanwhile, he was posting videos of himself playing the saxophone and he was posting videos of himself playing on the road or like being in a seat on an airplane. Um, and at a certain point in time, he was like, Hey, you know, Steven, like, this is your brand. Like, this is how you're connecting with people. Like, don't you think that it's worthwhile? Like, posting about what you do musically, like I bet people would really be interested in that. And at that point, you know, all of my followers were my friends, you know, like whatever followers, like 600, a thousand, whatever, you know, friends. Um, 
some of them are close friends, obviously. I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but like, you know, like I've now I have almost 9,000 followers and those, and like, that's not even like a high number by today's standards, but I don't know, like half of those people, like if somebody, but if somebody reaches out to me and, and, and asks me a question, you know, like I, I answer that question, like really honestly. Yeah. And my fiance is really good about doing this. She uh, she is like totally hands off on social media. She has a personal assistant who handles everything for her. I think that that's really great. For me, what I've started doing is I because I do want to have that that relationship with people. Uh, what I've started doing is I open Instagram twice a day. I open it at the beginning of the day to make my post. Then I open it at the end of the day to like answer questions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good. And that's, that's and that's something that allows me to like you know give the value and then uh, maintain the relationship, whether how, like if it's a virtual, whatever. So as far as what I post on social media, it can really depend. It can be anything from like a quick, like, like a quick video of what I'm practicing. You know, I've actually got like, I'm right now I'm practicing. I don't know if your listeners are listening, not watching, but this, I'm practicing my own voicings book that I wrote and I'm like, you know, and I'm making sure that everything in there is like stuff that I actually practice. And it, and it is. Um, so I think that it's all about like giving value to people. Um, you know, you're and you're it's a it's funny because it, it's such an impersonal way of connecting with people. But at the same time, you, and by impersonal, I just mean that you're so far away. You know, yeah. I'm behind a screen. You're behind a screen. Like we're making a connection. Um I'm not talking about this conversation, by the way. I'm talking about like on Instagram. No, 100. percent I know um, what you mean, but then when you're the person on the other end, it does feel genuine and it does feel yeah. personal. Like like I'm a golf nut, and so there's uh, there's people who like run putting clinics or coaches, and I'll like reach out to them, and be like, "This is what's going on," and I'm always shocked. It, the the response rate is always super high, and it's yeah. like thoughtful. It's like yeah. Well, Okay, like I was just yeah, exactly. Like just like you can go to a mentor and say like, hey, like I like I need some advice on this. You know, like I feel like that's like the position that social media has allowed many people like myself to take and create those connections that you otherwise would not be able to create. It's made the world a whole lot smaller. It's made getting it's made being able to get your name out there a lot easier for sure. That's awesome. How how has how has Oh, the pandemic changed your business. Um, you know, I guess at the at the macro level, yeah. How how has that been for you? How has that pivot been since March for you guys? Um, pretty difficult, um, to be totally honest with you. Yeah. It's really thrown a wrench into things, and it's forced us yet again to kind of think on our feet. And I, I I'm saying our I'm 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 speaking for all musicians. Like all musicians feel the exact same way that I do. They yeah. probably don't. But like for me, like it threw a wrench in my, you know, in my world in a pretty big way. So my my income is split into three total into three categories. The first category is performance. The second category is writing and arranging, and the third category is education. Mm-hmm. So those things are like I'm not listing them in any particular order. Um, like I mentioned earlier, like one can be more successful than yeah. the other at any given time. So performance has completely stopped um, yes. live performance. But um, I, I keep saying my fiance. It's exciting. Um, I know. I was going to say, fiance. First of all, congratulations. We're left Thanks, in man. seven days <laughs> you being able to use the word fiance. So, um, Thanks. And you got a great story. You got to share the story. We were supposed to record this podcast <laughs> a week ago. There is a you got to share the story because it's 
what you did is exactly what I would have done in the morning. Can we have it aside and hear it? Yeah, sure. So I'll give the abridged version. Basically, I had the 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 flower guys coming to deliver the flowers, and then they called and they canceled like right in the middle of the day. And I was like, oh my god! I, in my mind, I had already committed to doing it, and so I drove out to New Jersey to pick up the flowers and. Like, and I emailed Mark and Andrea in the car and I, and I was like, Hey, sorry, emergency. Can we reschedule? <laughs> and I think both of you guys probably freaked out. Like, Oh my God, what happened to Stephen? <laughs> I mean, I was just like driving to New Jersey to pick up these flowers. Um, it was so good. Well, congrats, man. That, thanks, that's man. I appreciate a phenomenal it. reason to miss a podcast at the very least. And, <laughs> and I'm pumped you get to use the word fiance. Congratulations. You too. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks, man. So my fiance and I, we start her name's Alexa Tarantino, okay. amazing alto saxophonist, composer, band leader, educator. We all, you know, everybody has that umbrella. Yeah. Um, she and I started a quarantine concert series, literally the first Saturday of quarantine. Um, cool. I think we were probably the first ones to do it actually in the jazz world, um, or at least among the first ones. Yeah. Um, so we have, so we were using a platform called Crowdcast. Um, okay. If anybody wants to check it out, it's crowdcast.io slash Stephen and Alexa. And Stephen is spelled with a V, by the way, yep. in case there are any PHers out there. <laughs> um, so, so, and, and part of that concert series is that we wanted to give back, um, to, to people. So we, we've been giving 25% of all the proceeds, um, throughout the concert series to organizations that we believe make the world a better place. We've given, uh, it started out like the first three months we gave money to, um, COVID-19 musician relief funds. Um, cool. and then we gave money to various organizations supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and then we started giving money recently, or not so recently, actually, to New York City jazz clubs that we right. have really benefited from performing at. And, you know, these places are still, there's no rent relief going around in New York City, yes. um, especially not for places that have prime real estate in, in Times Square or, or in the West Village, wherever. Um, so through that, we've raised over 10,000, almost $10,000, actually, I think. Wow. I don't know the exact number. I think we might have just broken it or are around there. Um, we've So we've given almost $10,000, around $10,000 to those organizations, which has been something that we feel really, really proud of and are, feel very fortunate to be able to do. So that's one way that we started working on our th thinking on our toes. As far as education goes, you know, we, I, you know, I, I, give like guest lectures at universities or like guest artist appearances at universities and and like some performing arts high schools around the United States. Um, so some of those things became virtual. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and and then I, and then I but then I started my own like the the online Zoom studio thing. And then I started doing the ebook thing. And, you know, these are things that I think I'll continue doing even after quarantine so like whatever happens has been really for the best has really allowed me to build um, my brand even further and as far as writing and arranging I had contracts through to the beginning of June that like upheld that was great and then any contract that had been in negotiation or any contract that had been like signed but maybe a deposit hadn't been made everybody kind of pulled pulled out and said like you know we don't know when we're going to be able to tour this act. So there's right. no point in doing this right now. Like we'll hit you up, you know, and when yeah. it happens and obviously like things are still as they are. So still waiting for that to happen. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. I mean, 
but it's so impressive. Well, actually, while you were talking, I just went online and made sure to follow you on Instagram so I can start to get uh, awesome. I'll follow you back into your ecosystem. Um, but I think it's such so cool, man, turning such a uh, negative situation, uh, both for you personally and for our country, into a positive one with those donations, especially supporting those jazz clubs. Like those, to a lot of people, they just walk by them in their buildings, but they don't realize how important they are in people's careers and in, uh, and then obviously in people's social scenes and those, those sorts of things. But those are, um, those things sometimes just get kind of unnoticed a little too much. So that's a phenomenal, that's a phenomenal. And I'm glad to hear you and your fiance are doing well. And um, I bet you love saying the word fiance now, man. It's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. A lot. Can you maybe share, as we're kind of getting towards the end of this, I'd love to hear your perspective. The inspiration for this podcast, you hit it, was that people don't have linear career paths. I mean, that was why I got into this podcast, because the more success I found, the, the, um, the realization I had was that, like, most people in successful roles or um, – on their way up the ladder, if you will, no matter what the industry was, had uh, their fair share of trial and tribulation and failure, um, as well as difficult decision making. And you hit a lot of how you got into it, the immersion of it, your networking. What advice would you give to someone graduating high school, maybe um, graduating college, who would love to follow a similar career path? Because I think that is eventually who the audience will be that listens to podcasts like this one and so that they can maybe follow their passion, but, you know, potentially eliminate some of the mistakes you made along the way. Right. Um, great question. There's like a couple of, of questions in there. I think if we break it down, um, I guess I'll start with, um, you know, what your mindset could be when you're graduating high school or graduating college. I think that for that one, It's hard not to feel the pressure at that age when you're making such a big transition, whether you're coming out of high school and entering college and you're leaving home for the first time and you're taking on a major, you know, where that major is going to lead you down a career path. It can be hard not to feel the pressure of of um, that. The pressure is that you feel that you have to know exactly what you want to do for the rest of your life at 18 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm 10 years out of high school. Right. Right. 12, right. Then 10. I don't know. Whatever. I'm not, like, I'm not like, I don't know. And, and there are people who are 10 years older than me, 20 years older than me, who whatever, who like have some sort of like there's no there's no pressure ever. You, right. know? you can just like do what you want to do at all at all times. Um, yes. It's very, I, it's very made up pressure. Yeah, it's yeah. It, I guess so. So I started living my life like. I got I became fascinated on a hike one time. I was sitting by a creek and I um and I saw a leaf in the creek, in the river, whatever, just like floating along and there were little obstacles in its path and there were currents below it who were that were carrying like tiny sticks and stones a little bit quicker than that leaf was going and I just like envisioned myself as that leaf and life around me as that river and obstacles in my path as things that were decisions. And I'll, I'll be the first to say I tend to abstract a little bit more out of these inanimate things than maybe the average person does. But still, like I, I I'd advise that person coming out of college or, or, you know, and getting their first job or coming out of high school and entering college to like envision your life as that leaf and try and live your life as a leaf. And 
understand that everything that's going on around you is is out of your control. And the only thing that you can control are the decisions that you make. And life at the end of the day is the result of a series of decisions. And you can't control even sometimes what decisions you're put in the position to make. So you can impose direction on your life. You know, that's not to say, like, leave it up to chance. You know, like you should take control of your life. But you should feel no pressure to know what you want to do for 80 years, hopefully, of your life at 18 years old. You just shouldn't have to know that. And you shouldn't feel the pressure to have to know that. So that's the first thing. The second part of the question is about mistakes in my career that people can avoid making. I think that I would like to summarize my answer and say that business is the, in this day and age, is not, it's not the survival of the fittest anymore. It's the survival of the quickest. Mm. I think that there's so many people who are becoming their own entrepreneurs that they have to really, if you have an idea, chances are that 10 other people have had that idea. And you have to be able to put in the work and put everything else down and prioritize that idea and really be able to strike while the iron is hot. And that's a mistake that I made. In 2014, I released that big band video on YouTube, I've Got the World on a String. And I released a couple of videos after that, and people started calling me for gigs. People started calling me for orchestration gigs. I, when I again gigs, you know, yeah, I yeah. Say, but like people started calling me for those kinds of gigs, and I got and I started resting on my laurels a little bit, and I didn't strike while the iron was hot. And I had an opportunity at that moment to really start developing my name as a solo artist in a in a different way than I did, mm-hmm. and I didn't take it. And I'm getting that opportunity again starting tomorrow with the release of my single, and I'm not going to let the opportunity slip. Uh, I think that business is really the survival of the quickest, not so much the survival of the fittest. And I think that that's something that has recently changed over the past five, ten years. Mm-hmm. It's going to continue changing as we move forward. I love that. I love it. And it's, it's almost what I'm hearing, too, is like when something's working, go all in on it. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Don't just run. broke. Don't fix it. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Uh, Steven, I didn't know we were going to use a leaf as a metaphor for life, but I like <laughs> it. The only thing I thought you, could, you were going to say was the leaf ends up where it should be at the end of the day. Cause <laughs> generally, I think generally, even though when you're um, making those decisions and you don't know if you made the right ones, it kind of you get to a point where you're like, ah, I'm happy where I'm at today. As, but I'm not going to use that as I'm still fueling my fire to keep going. So um, although I didn't think we we're going to use the leaf as a metaphor, dude, I thought that was phenomenal. And uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thank, I mean, congrats again on the recent engagement, less than seven days old. And, uh, <laughs> excited to maybe stay connected here and hear how things are going, because I feel like uh, the best is yet to come for you guys. And um, excited thanks, to watch Mark. Man. Really appreciate you having me, and I look forward to being connected as well. You better send me some golf videos. I will. I will. I will, I will try. There it is. <laughs> but I will try. Right, cool. Steve, thanks so much, and uh, take care, man. Yeah, take it easy, Mark. Bye.